0: All right. Thank you, Mr. James, and thank you, Martha. We really—it's really a dynamic duo that we've got going on there. Um, great example for for all of us. Hmm. What a special service this morning. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Uh, Would you stand as you're able for the reading of God's word? Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to remind you again... about tonight, and uh, I think tonight will be a fun night and a special night, and so I, I hope that you've uh, cooked some, some food. If you haven't, don't worry, there's going to be enough, um, but I hope you come for the singing at 6.30 and enjoy that time. Well, I hope all of you got a good night's rest last night, did you? Okay, some of you, there's a little mixed reviews there. Um, You had one extra hour to work with. Daylight saving times ended this uh, weekend. Now, for parents with young children, you all know what daylight savings times really means, right? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just want to be clear on that. That um, there there was not extra sleep in the case in household this morning. But it's yet another sign that we are entering into a a new season, right? We're in fall. Uh, Now, I don't have a favorite season. Um, Some people love fall because of the colors of the leaves are changing. Some like winter because, you know, maybe that 1% chance we'll get snow. Um, Others like spring because the flowers start to bloom. And finally, some of you like summer because it means no school, there's plenty of warm weather weather to go swimming. I don't have a favorite because I like the changing of the seasons. Take, for instance, the summer. I love the beginning of summer. You get warmer weather, you have sunshine, there's more time outside. But sure enough, after a couple of weeks or a month or two or however long of 90 degree weather, sometimes 100, I'm ready for some change. And then, you know, after a couple of weeks of fall and 90 degrees on Monday, 65 degrees on Tuesday, I'll be begging for winter just so I know what to wear every day, you know? Here in Georgia, fall's crazy. You never know whether to wear shorts or a sweater, and sometimes you've got to wear both on the same day. But the cycle continues, and after a few weeks, you know, of winter and the cold weather, I'm I'm saying bring on spring, and the cycle goes on and on and on. I don't have a favorite season. I just love when the seasons change. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but in life, we have different seasons. and We've got a lot more than just four. We describe these seasons in terms of prenatal, infancy, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, middle age, old age. In my undergraduate uh, studies at the University of Georgia, my major was child and family development. Now I decided on that major for two reasons. I had already accepted the call in the ministry and I figured that would be a great major. I'm going to be dealing with children and I'm going to be dealing with families. I know I'm going to seminary later, so while I'm here at Georgia, let me do something a little practical. It was also widely known on campus that the child and family development was one of the easier majors in <laughs> campus. For instance, there was a higher ratio of athletes in this major than in other majors. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. But most of my reading and my studying was geared around learning about the different seasons of, or stages of life. And our transitions in and out of them. And whether we call them seasons of of life or not, we're all familiar with them. We all have our our different ways of talking about them. We have different, you know, we we say things like, he or she is too young to understand. Which implies that later on in life, a person will come to a greater knowledge or understanding. We've all heard that she's glowing when we speak of a a woman who is pregnant. I'm sure when our, our fathers or our husbands have gone out and bought a Harley, dyed their hair to get rid of the gray, the phrase midlife crisis comes to mind. See, we have all these kinds of expressions when talking about the seasons of life, yet not even all my education in this area can sum up the seasons of life the way that George Carlin can. Now, <clears throat> I know George Carlin's gotten a little edgy. <clears throat> I'm sure you, this is completely clean. But I want you to hear how, how Carlin talks about age and the seasons of life and, and, and see if maybe you can relate. Carlin asks, do you realize the only time in our lives when we like to get old is when we're kids? If you're less than 10 years old, you're so excited about aging that you think in fractions. How old are you? I'm four and a half. You're never 36 and a half. You're four and a half, going on five. That's the key. You get into your your, your teens now. They can't hold you back. You jump to the next number or even a few ahead. How old are you? I'm going to be 16. You could be 13, but hey, you know, you're going to be 16. And then the greatest day of your life, you become 21. Even the words sound like a ceremony. You become 21. Yes. But then you turn 30. (laughs) Ooh, what happened there? Makes you sound like bad milk. He turned. We got to throw him out. There's no fun now. You're just a sour dumpling. What's wrong? What's changed? You become 21. You turn 30. Then you're pushing 40. Whoa, put on the brakes. It's all slipping away. Before you know it, you reach 50 and your dreams are gone. But wait, you make it to 60. You didn't think you would, so you become 21, you turn 30, you push 40, you reach 50, you make it to 60. You've built up so much speed, you hit 70. And then it becomes a day-by-day thing. You You hit Wednesday. You get into your 80s and every day is a complete cycle. You hit lunch. You turn 4.30, you reach bedtime. It doesn't need in there. Into your 90s, you start going backwards. You start saying things like, I was just 92. Then a strange thing happens. If you make it over 100, you become a little kid again. I'm 100 and a half. May you all make it to a healthy 100 and a half. I to argue with that did you notice something early on in life it, it seems very like how i view the seasons of the the year like i said i can't wait until the seasons change and when you're younger you can't wait until you're another year older how many times have you asked a child how old they are and they respond i'm three and a half i'm four and a half i'm i'm five and a half we can't wait until that other half is complete But as we get older, the eagerness to press on to the next season sometimes begins to diminish. I know you all are going to laugh at me about this, but for me, turning 30 scared the mess out of me. I know you're laughing. I know. I know. It, 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 It does sound like bad milk. Now, I had a great 30th birthday. My wife, Kristen, she made it so special for me. Now I'm looking forward to pushing 40. But as we get older, we start to maybe sometimes lose some of our adventurousness as we, we know less and less about what lies ahead and we know more and more about what was behind us. We begin to see that there are less and less seasons ahead of us and we begin to question whether there is a season that we cannot see. Can we trust what we have been taught about the meaning of death and about what lies beyond. What comfort can we find for the future when the wrinkles in our faces, the illness in our bodies, and the accidents in an unsaved world remind us that life on this earth is not permanent. You see, these questions about the existence of a season of life that we can't see aren't simply limited to those who are reaching 50, making 60, hidden 70. Unfortunately both the young and the old see and hear way too much that makes us question what happens after this life is gone. There seems to be a universal consensus among people that we live in a world in which good is ultimately rewarded and evil is ultimately punished yet far too often we see the reverse. We see that the wicked prosper and the good die young. We don't understand why a mother and a father lose their child before it's ever born. Makes no sense that a loved one is gone in the blink of an eye. Or a relative is eaten away by the worst word in the English language, cancer. For many of us, it's hard to understand why we had to light these candles this morning. Why aren't our loved ones here anymore? These things don't make any sense at all, and it's so easy for us t- during these times to question life and, and life after death. We just don't understand why bad things happen to good people. It's so easy for us to be a Job. You remember the story of Job. Job was a God-fearing man. He was blameless and upright according to the Scriptures. He had a good life with a wife, a family, land, servants, plenty of sheep and oxen. Yet the story tells us that Satan approached God and God allowed Satan to test Job's faith. Satan took away Job's sheep and oxen. He took away Job's servant. Satan took Job's family so that Job had nothing. All except three friends who continued to question Job's faith. I mean, if, if you've got friends like that, you don't really need any enemies. To them, Job, Job must have been doing something wrong. He, he, he must have been doing something wrong for God to have done all this to Job. Job. It's no wonder that Job questioned God. Here's one of the greatest men to walk the face of the earth, yet all these bad things were happening to him. Of course, he's going to question God, and of course, we're going to question God. And it's okay to question God. Jesus gave us permission to question God. When he was hanging on the cross, clinging for breath, gasping for air he yelled out to God my God my God why have you forsaken me if Jesus the son of the living God asked God why surely we can too I say if you are questioning God that means you're talking to God and God would much rather you be talking to him than turning your back on him When Job was faced with the hardship, the trials, the death around him, he had some big questions for God. And I want you to just listen to Job's words in Job chapter 14 and see if maybe we've ever had these thoughts and these questions. So Job says to God, he says, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow. He does not endure. Do you, talking to God, do you fix your eye on such a one? Will you bring him before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away from him and let him alone till he is put in his time like a hired man. At least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But man, man dies in his laid lobe. He breathes his last and he is no more. As water disappears from the sea or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. Men will not awake or be roused from their sleep. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? Can you hear the despair in Job's words? This is a man at at the limit. He has so much doubt. He's seen so much devastation, experienced so much loss. Job can't imagine or desire a life after this earthly one. You ever felt the way Job felt? You ever asked God these same questions? You ever asked, will we live again? What awaits me after death? Well, God answered Job and he's answered us as well. In our passage from 1 Corinthians, God answers us. It's as if God has laid down Job chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians 15 and he's laid them side by side and said, you got questions, I've got answers. So when Job says to God, man's days are determined, you have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed, God says, we are clothed with immortality. God says those limits are gone, and we will live forever. Eternal and everlasting life doesn't begin the moment we die. It begins the moment we say yes to Jesus. We aren't supposed to wait on heaven until we die. We're to live right now like we're in heaven so that we can bring a little heaven to earth. When Job asks God who can bring what is pure from the impure, God says, I can For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. It says, in the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Every perishable is taken off the shelves and replaced with the imperishables. God can take these outdated, impure, expired bodies off the shelf and replace them with up-to-date, heavenly bodies. He can take what is out of season and make it in season. When Job says, but man dies and is laid low, he breathes his last and is no more, God says, um, nope, nope. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then we can say, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ's resurrection that we can claim victory over death. It's through Christ that we can look forward to a new season of life. Christ is the reason for a new season. And in this new season of life that we call heaven, everything is going to be changed. Paul writes, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. It's my belief that not only will we be physically and spiritually changed, but that all things will be changed. I believe that all things in this world that don't make sense will make sense in heaven. And a God who is just will bring everything to completion. That's the hope that we have. This is the victory we have. This is what keeps us going, knowing that the inequalities and the injustice in this world will no longer be present in the kingdom of God. It's interesting to note that despite Job's questions and despite Job's doubts, He kept his faith. Job kept his faith in God and he was rewarded. The scripture says, the Lord made Job prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the later part of Job's life more than the first. Because of Job's faith, he could see a glimpse of the season of heaven here on earth. It's because of this same hope that we must continue to carry on the work and the love of Christ in this world. If we desire for justice and peace in heaven, we must seek it first in this life and in this world. We can hear the words of Paul telling us, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our work here on this earth is is done in the name of Christ and it will never be done in vain. Despite our different losses and despite the injustices we experience, we are to keep fighting the fight. We are to keep loving our neighbors, humbling ourselves in service and in love and devoting ourselves to God. We do this because God has promised Promised us a season after this life. God has promised us that this season we call heaven awaits us. And one day we will hear the trumpets playing and we will be able to declare victory in the name of Jesus Christ. We will be able to say, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the season we're in right now. And we thank you for this season to come. Help us. Help us to live like we're in heaven. To bring a little heaven here on earth. We again thank you for bringing our loved ones who have gone before us. We thank you for bringing them into our lives. No matter how long or brief, we thank you for their impact. Help us to stand firm. Even in our grief and our brokenness, help us to stand firm, knowing that our work in the name of Christ is not done in vain. It's in his name we pray. Amen.